Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Daily Objective. And uh, I have been called upon to host solo today. It's been a while since I did one of these, so I can use your help in the chat, in the super chat. And please leave a like on the video and subscribe if you're not. All right. So uh, by now, you may have heard that the objectivist um, fossil fuels advocate Alex Epstein was smeared by The Washington Post a week or two ago. Um, in which uh, an essay I think he wrote when he was about 18 or 19 was strongly implied to be racist by the Washington Post. Um, and from what I understand, the essay was saying something that is often said and should often be said by advocates of capitalism and liberty, which is uh, saying like, look how much better life is in the Western world compared to less free, less rational cultures. Now, those are like fighting words in many circles, but I think it ought to be said and it ought to be said with clarity. And, um, you know, the person saying it should, uh, should know what he means in, in saying it, right? So, I mean, it's easy. It's just as easy as saying, uh, look at North versus South Korea, right? Look at East versus West Germany, right? Um, or just look at the Western world in general versus the developing world or the not yet developing world. So I think in Epstein's essay, he compared the Western world to Chad. Chad, which I think is in Africa, which imagine the tourism opportunities of a country called Chad. If only they had capitalism, liberty, and um, for that they need a philosophical revolution or they need the introduction of philosophy in general. They need, um, they need less mysticism and they need Aristotle and the Greek influence, just like uh, the Western world has, luckily. Um, but there's nothing racist about making that comparison. There's nothing um, saying that, you know, Chad is inherently uh, populated by, you know, worse people or less capable people. And in fact, if you do look at statistics, it's my understanding that uh, African immigrants to the US are among the highest, if not the highest performing group of immigrants in terms of um, education, uh, low crime, etc. So um, so there's nothing racist about making the comparison of, you know, the Western world versus, let's say, Africa. It really but but that needs to be clarified. And a lot of people still take it as inherently offensive, which raises the issue that um, I think in most in most uh, philosophical views that is outside of Ayn Rand's philosophy, I think if you sort of survey what most intellectuals believe in the modern world, they sort of explain the difference between the Western world and Africa. They explain it as I, either genetic. I mean, they don't want to say it out loud, a lot of them, but you kind of push them hard enough. They've got like a genetic explanation for differing performances among groups or different uh, countries or different, you know, regions, different continents. Either they're genetic or on the more like, I guess, leftist, postmodernist, whatever it is, uh, social justice perspective, the difference in performance between different groups or different countries is that the system itself is designed to benefit one group over another. So if you think about what this means, the people who are alleging racism uh, at a statement like that, so the people who hear, they hear um they say, look how much better the West is performing, how much better life is in the West as opposed to Chad. People who hear that and they allege that that's racist, I think many of them, uh, they hold themselves that racism 
benefits the Western world. They think the West actually is desirable for the, I guess, the race that is performing better. They explain all differences in performance. They attribute it to race. Um, or on the flip side, the more hushed uh, uh, perspective you get from kind of the, I guess, biological determinists, more of these evolutionary pseudoscientists, many of them, I think, to a large degree, they think um, that the difference is genetic at the end of the day, right? So even though a lot of these people, many people in the world today do consider free will to be somewhat of a thing, you know, Ayn Rand is not the only philosopher that believes in free will, but she may be the only uh, one who really, really embraces the belief in free will or the observance of free will, maybe is a better way to put it. Um, it does seem that even when mainstream intellectuals believe there's some place for free will, like you could sort of uh, attribute some of human action to free will and, and the influence of ideas and philosophy. But at the end of the day, you really need to ex find some, a better explanation for differences in cultures, differences in performance by groups of people. So again, you have the sort of a leftist perspective that any difference in performance between countries or between uh, groups of people in the US, for instance, must be um, that the system itself is designed to benefit whites over blacks or whatever, straights over gays, etc. And of course, it doesn't even make sense because, like I said, many uh, high performing groups, let's say Nigerians, let's say gays, uh, they, they often far surpass um, their straight white counterparts um, in the culture. And of course, and again, like I said, the uh, many of the sort of reactionaries, the sort of um, or conservative people, the people who reject the leftist postmodernist perspective, many of them, they kind of they're they don't want to say it this way, but they see genetics as being the determining factor in differences in performances among groups anytime that one group is performing better than another, or oftentimes. And um, and what this, the way I interpret this, when, when I see them uh, explaining differences with such, with uh, these reasons that they think it's that the system itself is designed to hold blacks down or hold Africans down, or they think that the difference is genetic, what they're actually, it's like they're actually harboring racist views of people. They actually think either that race is important, like that, that genetics determine your destiny, or they actually think that racism benefits a group of people. They actually think that racism is desirable. And we see this, um, we see the, this sort of approach everywhere. I mean, uh, I'm reminded of Leonard Peikoff's uh, book on objectivism. I think it was in the chapter on government or on politics where he, where I'm obviously paraphrasing from memory, Peikoff points out that most people seem to think dictatorship is desirable. Like if you're the dictator, you've won. And that's why that's what made America so kind of afraid of the Soviet Union more than was necessary. That's very, again, me paraphrasing from memory and maybe adding my little spin to it. But but once you realize that irrationality and force are not desirable, once you realize that reason, that respecting individual rights, uh, that capitalism and the practical is the moral, is what's desirable, then you're sort of freed of um, this ghost that you're sort of living with. And I do see a lot of, um, sort of mainstream intellectuals as sort of living with this ghost. I mean, what's a, what's a metaphor? Like the, the, the bill collector is coming at some point, like you're tossing and turning, waiting for, 
the reaper to show up, whatever the metaphor is that I'm fishing for. Like they hold, again, they hold a premise. They hold either that, that, uh, that racism benefits them or benefits someone like that. The system that, that, uh, the same system that, uh, enables the individual to live rationally, like the same system, capitalism that enables the individual to pursue his own values. That same system also elevates one race over the other and is inherently oppressive and racist. The enemy of the of the practical is the moral, the way that they see it, and no such dichotomy actually exists. So, in the uh, so um, the title of this episode is "Living on Borrowed Time," which is uh, a remark that uh, a guy named Chris Williamson once made to me. He's, he's a friend of mine here in Austin. He's on YouTube. He does for all of your. Uh, culture, fitness, dating, and lifestyle concerns. Uh, you can subscribe to him. But I saw him at a party and he said in a friendly tone, you are living on borrowed time. Kind of like you're getting away with. And, you know, that got me thinking like, well, aren't we all living on borrowed time? And I, I don't just mean this in like the deep poetic, you know, we're all going to die for whom the bell tolls sense. But but how many times a day do you break a social justice law? You know, like it's been it's been said that like everyone breaks seven laws a day, like in terms of actual laws on the books that you don't even know about laws that have been on the books from antiquity that you don't even know you're breaking. But when it comes to social justice, when in terms of uh, things that could get you canceled, I mean, everything you do virtually can be attributed. I mean, can be traced back to white supremacy. I mean, you see at the. You see at uh, some of these lectures that are emerging uh, that, you know, social justice feminists or social justice intersectional theorists are delivering. The word objectivity is, 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 is being considered white supremacist. Objectivity, individualism. So basically things that life requires, things that are both practical as well as in your interest, obviously by, in, by virtue of being practical, everything that life requires and is desirable ultimately, uh, in some way contributes to this system that is, you know, said to be white supremacist because, you know, it is, uh, it, they think it demonstrably um, raises one group of one race of people over another. Now, their statistics are often junk. They don't want to believe that, um, you know, that uh, non-whites are able to, uh, to succeed in the modern world. But, the, but that's not even the main issue. Uh, as you can see, the main issue that I am pointing to is that uh, to them, the actual requirements of reality, objectivity, capitalism, property rights, individual rights in general, are to them white supremacist. Or, like I said, um, the sort of um, reactionaries to that whole thing often if you push them hard enough, they'll sort of say like genetics are kind of what uh, uh, account for the differences in, in, in different groups of people or in different countries. So these people are living with racist premises one way or the other. Either one, one of them believes that the races are, there actually is such a thing as race and that it determines uh, how your life is going to end up. And the other group of them actually believes that um, the requirements for living result in racism. So they are living uh, on borrowed time, so to speak. So we are all living on borrowed time in terms of that. We're all going to get canceled sooner or later unless we really lay low. Everything, every one of us is doing something that's offensive to the woke. 
There's that respect in which we're all living on borrowed time. And then the cancelers, the people who are pointing the finger are themselves living on borrowed time in terms of, of the fact that they live with these premises. They actually, in their heart of hearts, so to speak, in their, in their subconscious, at least, if not their conscious convictions, they actually think that reality is racist. That's no way to live, is it? Um, now, there's another uh, aspect to so-called cancel culture that, uh, that I've been thinking about, which is the dynamic of the young versus the old. So young people rolling, the, rolling their eyes at their parents is an ongoing thing, right? I don't know if it's inherent. Like, I don't know if it's uh, something that you would see humans doing um, any, like in any culture with any philosophy. I've wondered about this, but it is something we definitely see in in this world of ours, in the modern world, right? Uh, every With every passing generation, uh, what was hip to one generation, their kids tend to roll their eyes at and sort of think is stupid. And um, I wonder uh, how much of that overlaps with this sort of uh, um, zealous, vandalizing of statues right like pulling down statues of past heroes or just past historical figures pulling down these statues like we've seen in recent years certainly and probably earlier as well but uh, this canceling of historical figures i wonder how much of it is sort of motivated by this youthful restlessness um that doesn't have much of a guide doesn't have much of a philosophical guide in uh, that that helps them separate sort of um, kind of properly rolling your eyes at something that was only really relevant when your parents were growing up. Let's say your parents like a certain type of music. You had to be a certain age. You had to be living in a certain culture maybe to really, really love that music, to fall in love with that music the way your parents did. And you're just sort of over it. You're not into it. Um, and so kind of separating that from actual... Um, like a, uh, there is a, there is a, there is a proper way to evaluate the past, right? So we can evaluate Thomas Jefferson in a way that is, I think, largely positive. You know, maybe if he were alive today, we'd want him um, condemned for, let's say, his treat, his owning of slaves and treatment of them, or and and thing and other crimes he may have committed. But as a historical figure, we can just see him for what makes him stand out in history. Owning slaves does not make him stand out in history. Writing the Declaration of Independence, of course, is what makes Jefferson stand out, and we can love him and revere him and have his statue um, protected and, and have his statue out in the street for that historical significance of Jefferson. So uh, as, as I'm trying to articulate here, um, there is sort of a proper way to evaluate the past, and without, any, without a good philosophy in the culture, without good guidance, um, it seems that the young they don't really know how to separate um, like proper kind of rejection of maybe what your parents were into or what your grandparents uh, did that that should properly be rejected. Like, OK, let's say your grandparents were actually racist. OK, let's say your grandparents actually were racist and there's no silver lining. There's no excuse. They were just racist because they were racist. You can reject that. You can condemn that. Um, but that is not the same. Like there is a there is uh, there is a version of um, there's a proper way to look at your grandparents and to recognize. I don't mean just your personal grandparents, but the older generations and see 
what good things they were able to do in their own context. Maybe they uh, they made new strides towards liberty, towards uh, towards reason, right? Um, towards the discovery of a good philosophy. So um, there was a there is uh, a rock group that uh, that I discovered as a teenager that were I think they were medium sized level of popularity. They're called mindless self-indulgence, which if you're a real Atlas Shrugged aficionado, you know that phrase was in the John Galt speech, um, where I think Galt was saying something like, being selfish is not mindless self-indulgence, but being you know, properly selfish is rational, pursuing rational values, long-term, looking at your life as a whole. Again, paraphrasing here. But um, Again, Galt was saying being selfish is not mindless self-indulgence. And this group named themselves uh, Mindless Self-Indulgence. They are, um, if you're into, you know, rock music, if you're into kind of modern industrial electronic rock, you, you, might, uh, you might know them, you might like some of them. They were very much, um, they were like very relevant in the 2000s, I think. That was like kind of where they shined. And um, I, I'm reminded of them both in terms of like cancel so-called cancel culture and how like everyone's sort of living on borrowed time. They had a song called Bring the Pain that I remember uh, looking up the lyrics and I just couldn't believe that a group with any sort of mainstream um, presence could say these lyrics. Like they were like, they were um, not just mildly racist. Like they were like not only saying the N word, but they were saying things that I never thought I would hear outside of like the Jim Crow South you know, outside of like To Kill a Mockingbird. And then I found out, oh, it's actually a cover. They're covering a rap song by a couple guys from the group, the Wu-Tang Clan. So these lyrics were actually originally delivered by a couple of African-American rappers, uh, I think addressed to other African-Americans. So, um, so it's more thought provoking and sort of ironic, I think, than, is, than it is, you know, hateful or anything like that. So um, that's the type of thing that the group Mindless Self-Indulgence would do. They would take a song with such shocking lyrics and they would uh, deliver the song. They would cover it in their own way. And um, now, uh, of course, they, they're still very cancelable for that, right? Of course, the, the view today is if you're, if you're white or you look white, there is no context in which you can say the N-word or say anything racist, even, within, even with quotation marks, even in context. Um, and um, in another respect, but another reason that this group comes to mind to me uh, with recent news is, so they had a they had a song called "I Hate Jimmy Page," which kind of spoke to a lot of people like me, you know, like uh, growing up in like the '90s, the 2000s. There was all this like, anytime you turn on VH1 or the Grammys or any sort of establishment media, there's all this like, oh, you'd better respect. Uh, the Rolling Stones, you know, you better look up to Led Zeppelin, all oh, that. And we're like, why? Why? What if I don't like Led Zeppelin? I understand they're musicians. I understand any music, you know, like I understand they did something new and and groundbreaking in their time. But what if I just not that into it? What if I like today's music better? Um, and now here's a group shouting, I hate Jimmy Page. Get those bleeps off the stage. Um, 
So yeah, that's kind of like my driving at night, you know, driving fast music. Um, but is that, um, so is that nihilistic, that rejection of Led Zeppelin that's saying, I hate Jimmy Page? That, that's what Jimmy Page was in, right? Led Zeppelin. Uh, someone can correct me if it was, I don't know, another group, but I think it was Led Zeppelin. But I mean, so is that nihilistic when the young are like uh, restlessly kind of like just overturning the previous generation or could, could you make the case that like rock and roll was always kind of um, was always kind of like about, I don't know, being a little disruptive and just kind of saying something that hasn't been said before just because you can and cause you want to. And, and it's almost like uh, being nihilistic towards the nihilists in a, in a certain respect. Um, yeah. So it's like, you know, the rock and roll shocked the old when it first came about and then the next generation of rock and roll, shocked those parents you know like you had ozzy osbourne i am iron man i'm sure that definitely freaked out a lot of um a lot of parents at that time with each passing generation you see one group of rockers shocking their parents shocking the previous generation and here was um mindless self-indulgence giving the finger to led zeppelin like oh my god i can't believe it like people thought history is over right like nothing could ever be more rebellious and edgy than led zeppelin but no turns out these guys were not having it so in conclusion today before i get to super chats um i do think that when it comes to this I I do think these anti-racists, they hold racist premises themselves. They do think racism is practical. They think racism is beneficial, let's say to whites, or it's it's beneficial to somebody when in reality, racism does not benefit anybody. So um, having having an apartheid does not actually benefit anyone. Having slavery based on race or slavery at all does not benefit anyone. Dictatorship does not benefit anyone. Um, Oppression, the violation of rights benefits no one. So when you look at the difference between the West versus Chad in Africa, um, the, it is perfectly proper to say the, the uh, fossil fuels, capitalism, the protection of individual rights, reason, individualism have done great things for these Western countries. And they're exactly what Chad needs. Um, there's nothing racist about that. And people who hold uh, racist premises. They think racism actually benefits certain groups of people, or they benefit some people. They actually think that beyond that, they think reality is inherently racist. Like the requirements of reality to them is results in racism. Those people are going to take that um, statement offensively, that comparison of the West to Chad, they take that as offensive. So yeah, it's sad. What's sad to me is that we live in a world now where when you say the West is better than non-Western countries, people assume you're coming from a racist place. And one of the contributing factors to that is that um, a lot of the reactionaries, a lot of the so-called alt-right or even more of the even centrist sort of uh, wannabe scientists who they, 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 they try to use evolution, in, I think, inappropriately to explain human behavior. A lot of them do actually hold that genetics are the reason. They actually think that we're just by design, some races are superior to others. So when that's when those people are championing Western civilization, then the then Western civilization has a problem, right? That's the type that's bad publicity for Western civilization. So uh, our work as as students of Ayn Rand, our work is really cut out for us. Um, 
So in conclusion, that there's that point. There is the whole borrowed time concept. Really, all of us are cancelable. All of us have done something that is a cancelable offense in the view of the woke. Because again, to, to the woke, reality itself is racist. Doing something that benefits you in any way, acting in order to further your own life to them um, is inherently part, uh, work, pl uh, playing into uh, contributing to the, the white supremacist system. And they are living on borrowed time. The people pointing the finger at you, they're living on borrowed time because they live with this premise. They live with this ghost that reality is racist. And at some point, they are going to need to uh, address that uh, giant gaping contradiction, that, that dichotomy they live with, which is the moral versus the practical. And the other point I wanted to raise is just that I've been thinking about this whole, this whole uh, phenomenon of the young sort of rejecting what their parents were into, which is a thing we see often. And I'm curious how much of that is rational, how much of that is sort of part kind of part of growing up. Is it entirely, you know, the influence of philosophy? Is it that in the modern world, um, a lot of what the older generations are into are not very good. So let's say if you're if you grew up um, with parents that are, and the older generation in general is really into Renaissance art, maybe then you wouldn't see the young rolling their eyes and, and rejecting what, they're, what the older generation are into. So maybe it's because, let's say rock and roll, which I love, by the way, it, rock and roll in, in some form or another is, and many other pop culture things are something I cannot live without, I can't live without. So I, I don't mean this to disparage rock and roll or, or the modern or modern pop culture. Maybe it's not that, maybe it's not universally great. Like maybe you had to be there. Maybe you had to be 12 or 13 years old when you discovered modern pop culture to really love it. Whereas something like Renaissance art and classical music is more universal. So um, those are some of the things I've been thinking about. I hope that made some sense. Uh, Marilene, thank you for the super chat. Marilene, again, thank you for the super chat. Sent four dollars twice. Keep hitting that button, Marilyn. I'm kidding. Um, like, like the money's not coming through. You got to keep pressing send. But that's a joke. Roland with four ninety nine euro says, if there's a law against super chatting, here I go breaking it. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, money is uh, probably on the list of white supremacist concepts to the in the eyes of the woke. But um, you know, the woke. Lit wins by default, you know, the left wins by default. Um, I think Ayn Rand makes that observation in her book, Return of the Primitive, in, in one or two of the essays, at least. She, I think, makes that observation. It's the altruist premise. It's ultimately the rejection of objective reality. It's the rejection of reason as an absolute. That is rejecting that reason is an absolute. Rejecting that um, opens the floodgate and ultimately the irrational ends up winning as a result of that compromise. Thank you, Marilyn, for the $10. She says, number one fan. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us today. Um, I think that's all I had to say. And those are all the super chats. So uh, if you'd like, join me on Clubhouse now. We'll be over there. And uh, I think, uh, you know, everybody should buy uh, Alex Epstein's new book because, um, you know, that's how you, that's what's, well, you know, that's the kind of, uh, that's how you fight the left or that's how you fight the Washington Post. That's how you fight back. One of the ways other than speaking out is with dollars and cents. So, and let's face it, I'm sure it's a great book. All right. Thank you all. And 
uh, coming up today at 10 p.m. UK time. It's The Cutting Edge with Lee Pearson and special guest Shoshana Milgram. They'll be slicing through the movies. Very nice. All right, everybody. See you back here tomorrow uh, on uh, today's Wednesday, right? So see you back tomorrow on the Thursday Collective edition of The Daily Objective. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>